Wow. Well, happy Easter, everybody. Yeah. Hey, I want to thank our worship team. I mean, there is, there's something, yeah, let's, yep. Yes, yes. It's kind of something special about Easter where the musicians try to just take it up a notch and it's incredible. I mean, sometimes you'll let you in on a weird insider thing about working at a church. Sometimes we think of Easter kind of like it's the Super Bowl of church Sundays. So it's a little odd, but yeah, but we love it. We love it. And for me, it's hard to imagine doing, you know, an Easter celebration without just incredible music. And I'm so grateful that God created music. I'm also grateful that God created art. And this is Isaac over here, and he is painting as an act of worship this morning. He starts during the first service and just kind of works along the themes of what the message is for the day. And it's amazing to watch it unfold. And I like that I get to be here at the beginning and then look at it at the ending. So thank you, Isaac, for that. And I am. I'm grateful that God created music that we can celebrate with, that he created art that we can celebrate, the resurrection of Jesus through. I just, I, I just love that. But, you know... Um, there's one other thing, well, there's a couple other things, but in particular, there's one other thing I love about celebrating Easter. Um, it's Easter food, Easter food, right? Come on, somebody say amen to that. And some of you are about to go home in a little bit and have a little bit of that, uh, you know, honey-baked ham. It's like a spiritual experience because nothing, nothing says Easter and celebrating the resurrection of a Jewish man like pork, right? Yeah. But eating does. It goes hand in hand with celebration. Take it from a fat guy, all right? So, um, but hey, um, another thing I like is, I'll confess this, and it's obvious, but I love Easter candy, right? Anybody else like Easter candy? Admit to this. I saw a poll this week, and now I, I don't know how accurate this poll is. Like, they must have only given them five options for favorite Easter candy. But coming in number five with, what is it, 9%. 9% of people said their favorite Easter candy is Peeps. Anyone? Now, but does anybody like it? Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be ashamed. Anybody like Peeps? Yeah? All right. Here, this is going to be a throw, but here we go. You ready back in the back? Here we go. Oh, a little, little steep on the throw. Now, I think they grow Peeps in a laboratory. That's not even real food, but look at that. He was even going to give that up. I was going to give it up for somebody else. All right, number four favorite, 13% of, uh, of, of people said, and how many of uh, you this is true for Easter, or what is this? Jelly beans. Wow, my brain just, yeah, jelly beans right here. All right, you were the enthusiastic, yes. Oh, jelly beans number two. Now the favorite for 19% of people, Number three would be the chocolate bunny. Anyone? Bueller? Any? Oh, I see right over here. All right, Nick, you're going to have to catch this one for your little one there. There we go. Nicely done, sir. Nicely done. All right, for 20, what is this? 20, number two, 21%. 21%. Anybody want to guess? Yeah, somebody named it. Cadbury eggs. These are good. Yeah? Kelly got her hand up right away. You had your hand up right away. And these are all kind of small, so I'm going to keep these for myself. All right. Um, <laughs> guess what I like. All right. And then the number one favorite by 35% of the folks surveyed. Anybody want to guess? Yes. I hear it back here. Reese's peanut butter eggs. Who likes these? There you go. You get an egg. And you get an egg. It's like Oprah. And you get an egg. And you get an egg. And 
Yeah, way back there. Oh, there we go. And Jim, Jim, there you go. Just scatter them around. I just about hurt my family. Oh, right here, right here. Yeah. There we go. There we go. Oh, don't fight over them here. No, there's more coming. There's more coming. I just about hit my wife in the head with a Cadbury egg for some... I did hit you in the head? Oh, I did. Oh, man. I'm in trouble later. So that's why we went underhand this service, yeah. Little softball, little softball. All right, well, so again, I love, I love that God created music that we celebrate and art that we celebrate with, and we can celebrate Easter by eating great food and, of course, candy. I also love that here in the northern hemisphere of the world that Easter happens during the springtime because it reminds us that life is really kind of breaking out unless you live in the desert like we do, and then it reminds you, oh no, buckle up, pretty soon it'll be 115, right? <laughs> Hate to be the downer, but um, Easter is a time for us to celebrate, um, but at the same time that we acknowledge there's so much to celebrate and we enjoy it, we have to stop and also look at the big picture because as much celebration um, is appropriate and as much celebration is warranted, we have to be honest that there is still so much of our world that is broken. So we celebrate at the same time Easter, the resurrection of Jesus, our world that still need that record, if we're honest, to look at so many other places and things in our world that still need that resurrection life of Jesus. And so we just look around at our world. It doesn't take much to see the broken things, our natural disasters, pandemics, famine, there's war, there's racism, there's poverty, crime, depression, addiction. There's the pain of divorce, and there is the pain of death. So to be honest, it's kind of a mixed bag. It's a both kind of deal. There's lots to celebrate, but it doesn't take long for us to have to see and acknowledge that not everything is beautiful at Easter. There's a lot in our world that is still broken. I mean, think back you know, two years ago to Easter. Two years ago, um, we had a pandemic that hit, and we actually gathered, you know, online for Easter service. That was so weird. Anybody remember two years ago? Yeah. I know we're trying to wipe it from our memory, but just to rewind a little bit, two years ago, but then if you were to play the tape and roll it fast forward, some of the highlight lowlights would be after the pandemic hit, a couple months later, we had racial tension in our country that most of our lifetimes, we have never seen anything like that. And then we had a very, we'll choose the word volatile election. Anyone agree? Volatile? Everybody's very afraid. Don't worry. I'm not going to go there. It's all good. Um, and then there was an insurrection. And then if you keep through the calendar, there were more COVID surges and there were vaccination controversies and mask controversies. There were natural disasters. There was the war, the crisis in Afghanistan, and now we have war in Ukraine. So just a fast forward, and that's just a few of the highlight lowlights. Um, the last couple of years have been very difficult, and it's wreaked havoc really on so many people's mental health and on our relationships. I mean, families have split, churches have split, um, friendships have ended. There's just a lot of brokenness out there. And sometimes I stop and I look at that brokenness out there in our world and I have to admit 
after a little while that it's not the brokenness out there that is the most troubling. Because while it is troubling, the brokenness, in some ways, the brokenness in here, in me, is the brokenness that really gives me the most pause. And that's a part of the Easter story and why we need Easter as well. Many of you maybe have heard this verse, Romans 3, 23, says that all of us have sinned and fallen short of God's glorious standard. That's another way of saying short of his beautiful, perfect design. And I read a verse like that, and I'm the first one, I think, that has to raise my hand and say, yep, that's me. Um, And and honestly, when I think about it, uh, sometimes I look in the mirror and say, you know, I haven't just fallen short of God's standards. Uh, I haven't even lived up to my own. And some of you might understand um, what that feels like. Um, For me, there's times where I look in the mirror and I can ask questions like the Apostle Paul asked, where my words are, there are just things that I know. (laughs) There's things that I know, good things that I need to do, and I can't get myself to do them sometimes. And then there's things that I know I (laughs) don't want to do, and I end up doing those things. And so I look in the mirror, and sometimes I have to be real honest about the brokenness and think, Um, Sometimes I'm not living like the man I want to be. Sometimes I'm not living like the father that I'd like to be or the grandfather I'd like to be. Sometimes I know I'm not the friend that I want to be or the son that I want to be or the coworker that I want to be. Sometimes I know I'm not the husband that I promised to be. And very often I know that I fall short of being the pastor that I want to be to our church family. And so I can look around some days, and get caught in this sort of downward spiral when I realize that my life is far from perfect. It's easy for me to get in that spiral and start to feel really overwhelmed by my own brokenness, by the unhealed places in my life. It's easy for me to start to feel like I am way off from God's intention and beautiful design. And sometimes, even though I know it's not true, I feel like God is very far away, even though he's not, he's always near, but I feel like he's far away. And that's one of the reasons I love Easter. Because if at no other time, Easter is a time for me to stop, thankfully, to just stop and have a chance to wake up to the truth of the matter, instead of getting caught in that spiral where I get focused on the downward stuff, Easter is an invitation For us to remember that God saw all that brokenness. All the brokenness in you and in me and in our world. And then he sent his one and only son, Jesus, to come to our planet. To bring healing. To bring freedom and forgiveness to our broken world. Like Jesus came to give us new life. A new start. A new identity. And a way back home. And so Easter, Easter, friends, is a reminder that anything, with God, anything is possible. With God, anything is possible, and that God specializes in bringing dead things back to life. See, Easter is this reminder that that, that because of Jesus, things that look impossibly broken or done or over, those things could actually become restored. They could actually be made new and maybe even better than they were. See, Jesus doesn't just come to fix the stuff. He takes the broken pieces of our lives and he finds a way to make it more beautiful than we ever dreamed. 
And part of what Jesus did when he did come to earth and had his earthly ministry is that he taught us what that looks like. What's it look like for things to be restored, for brokenness to be not just fixed, but restored and made better. And to, to do that, he often told stories. We call them parables often. And parables are stories that Jesus would tell to teach us about what God is really like and what following Jesus in his way could really look like. And if you've been around here for long at all, you know that my favorite story is out of Luke 15. It's the story often called the prodigal. It's the story of two lost sons and their father. I actually spent four weeks uh, teaching on it earlier this year, but wait, there's more. (laughs) Saved a little something here because when I came back to this last week, I thought, you know what, Easter, for me at least, feels in many ways like, like it's time for more hope, for more hope that you and I can come out of whatever brokenness that we find ourselves in and, and we can come back home to this God who restores us. And I have a feeling that some of you are with me in this desire to see that brokenness and pain in your life restored and you wanna come back to God out of your brokenness. And so this story in Luke 15 um, which we're just going to touch on a little bit. It, it, it is the story uh, of a young man who experiences deep brokenness. He leaves home, leaves his father, and he experiences so much pain, so much brokenness. We'll pick up in verse 11 and just read part of this story. Jesus says, there was a man who had two sons. The younger said to his father, Father, give me the share, my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. A few days later, the younger son gathered all he had, traveled to a distant country, and there squandered his property in wild living. I'll step away here and just kind of summarize the next part. Eventually, predictably, the money runs out. The kid gets so desperate that he's eating pig food out of a pig trough. And in desperation, it says he came to his senses. And he decides he's going to go back to his father. Verse 18 Here's what he says, I will set out. I will go back to my father and I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. So he set off and went to his father. Now we're gonna pause the story right here for for something um, just to call attention to what the people in that day, these first century Jewish folks would have assumed almost automatically um, was gonna happen next. See, the folks listening to Jesus tell this story, they knew about something in their culture called a kazeza, a kazeza. And this is a a legal ceremony in Judaism. And and I've alluded to this part in messages before, but we haven't had time to really unpack it. Um, And I guess we needed to save it for Easter. And I was reminded of this by a a pastor uh, named Dave Dummett. And he explained the research on Kazeza. Now, Kazeza was this legal ceremony in Judaism. Uh, It's a ceremony that you could find in what's called the Talmud. Now, the Talmud, for those of you that are Bible nerds like me, uh, it's these... Uh, explanations and expositions of the Hebrew scriptures, like here's how all this stuff applies. And so you could find this in the Talmud. And the idea behind this was, was if you had a son, if you had a daughter, a family member that, that it disgraced you, 
or maybe you had a family member that embarrassed you by doing something that was immoral or included in that was if they married somebody that you didn't approve of or they divorced somebody and you didn't approve of that divorce, what you could do is call for a kazeza. Uh, and also another one important to this story is um, since land was really precious to the people of Israel because God had given it to them, since land was so precious, if you were a Jewish person and you lost a lot of money or land to the Gentiles, non-Jewish folks, then, then you could be cut off. And the younger son had done that, right? You could call, somebody could call for a kazeza against you. And a kazeza is a cutting off ceremony, a cutting off ceremony. So this younger son, he qualified for this kind of ceremony. And what would happen in these kazeza ceremonies is that people would come and they would bring a pot and they would fill the pot with you know, rotten food or rotten vegetables. Sometimes they'd fill it with uh, animal manure. Um, and so by way of cutting you off symbolically, if you're going to cut off this community member or a family member, um, this pot would be brought by the villagers or family members to the offending person, and then they would smash it in front of them. They would smash the pot and say to them, shame on you. Shame on you. We want you out of here. Literally, go. You are cut off. You are banished from here. So when Jesus first told this you know, prodigal story, right at this point in the story, at this verse, pretty sure that the people were imagining like, oh, here's what comes next, Next, right? This is going to be a Kazeza moment where this kid coming back home after squandering his father's inheritance, he's going to get it, right? Of course he's about to be cut off. And they would have also known that, that, that when that young man finally got there after his long journey back home, that the villagers would be waiting for him at the village gates with angry faces so they could take these kazeza pots and smash them while saying, shame on you. Our relationship is cut off. It's broken. Your future hopes, they're dashed. Your relationship with this village, your relationship with this family, it's cut off. It is shattered. It is broken. And just, you know, when I even think about that for a moment, I go, you know, that's not that far off for some of us. Um, maybe you probably wouldn't use that same Kazeza imagery, but when you hear this, maybe you connect, because I think there's a lot of people that they start running out of, coming out of brokenness or wandering from God. <laughs> But as they do that, they want to come home to God. They want to come back to God. They want to come back even to church. But sometimes I think it's easy for some of us to imagine that, that, that God might actually have a kazeza pot with our name written on it. Because we think that God is disgusted with us. Or we think God is done with us. That he has cut us off. That we've gone too far. That it is over and he's just waiting to drop the boom which is what the people would have expected to happen. But Jesus, but Jesus says something very different. That's not the Father God. That's not the kind of Father God we have. Jesus gives us a completely different picture of the Father in verse 20 where he says, while the younger son was still a long ways off, the Father saw him, was filled with compassion for him, and he ran to his son, which was something you don't do. You, if you're a dignified Middle East nobleman in flowing robes, you don't run. Except this Father 
didn't care. <laughs> he didn't care, and he ran. See, the father would have known about this Kazaza threat as well. And I, so I imagine, as it says, the father ran. He was running past maybe all these condemning people who were holding the pots, and he was holding them back, pushing them back, so he could run to his son, not to get to his son first and wave a shaming finger in his face or shake an angry fist, but to get to his son first to protect him. And Jesus says, he says, the father wrapped his arms around his son and kissed him. He's protecting his son. And then Jesus says next that the father puts a ring on the son's finger, sandals on his feet. He is sending a message. He's saying, no, 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 my son, listen, I don't want you to behave like a hired hand. I want you as a son. And I want you and I want them to know that you have full authority and rights as my son. You are restored. And then he takes it up a notch in verse 24. The father turns around and says to his servants, prepare a feast. We're going to have a party like you've never seen before. We're going to celebrate because this son of mine was lost and now he's found. He was dead and he's alive. And so they began to celebrate. And again, the people listening to Jesus tell this story, just imagine what all of them thought was a kazaza moment of brokenness. Instead, Jesus shows it's a moment of beauty that demonstrates to us exactly what our Father God is really like. I mean, if this... Kazaza ceremony and what actually happened is not a picture of what Jesus did at Easter. I don't know what is. I mean, Jesus gave up full rights as God in heaven, and he ran, he ran down here to rescue broken people in our broken world. We deserve to be condemned. We deserve to be cut off. But instead, Jesus came to us in our sin, in our brokenness, not because we did anything right, but he came not to say, shame on you, but to say, let me get the shame off of you. Jesus is saying, I'm going to take your shame on myself. And scripture says that he took our sin, he took our shame by allowing himself to be hung on a cross. So friends, because of Jesus and what he did, you and I need not fear that God has cut us off. Our story, no matter how far you've gone, no matter how, matter lost, how lost you feel or think you are or might be, no matter how much, your story and mine is not a kazaza story of smashed pottery. It's a story of something broken that's being miraculously restored by the love of God for you. Now, just the idea of pottery... Um, and this Kazaza tradition actually kind of reminds, maybe some of us know, um, of another pottery tradition that comes out of Japan. Um, anybody ever heard of kintsugi? Anyone know what that is? A few of us around here? Um, let me explain it this way. Normally, if a piece of pottery or a cup or a plate is broken, you and I would look at the broken pieces and say, you know, let's just sweep up this mess, call it garbage, throw it away. It's broken. It's uh, worthless. But the beauty of this art form of kintsugi is, is that it takes broken pottery and it actually makes it more 
beautiful. So instead of tossing away a broken pot, they actually take the pieces and fuse them back together. And part of what's fascinating is they don't fuse it back together with, you know, like super glue. (laughs) They actually use gold. They use gold to repair it. And then, check this out, the value of the restored piece is actually greater than the original design. And I just think that's such an amazing picture of what the resurrection of Jesus made possible for our broken world. See, Easter is this reminder that things that look impossibly broken, like they're done or finished, they can be restored. They can be made new. Not only that can be made even better than before. See, Jesus doesn't just fix it. He's able to take the broken pieces of our lives and make it even more beautiful, even better. I mean, think about how Jesus did this with what we think of when we think of the cross, right? Um, Back then, the cross represented to people in that day, and it was a cruel instrument of torture. It was the worst imaginable way to be executed. It was You know, today it'd be like, you know, we put crosses around our neck and it'd be like hanging an electric chair around your neck, I guess, is kind of an equivalent. It'd be kind of weird. Some of you might dig that, but, you know, just. um. But, but, But this image of the cross just struck terror in the hearts of people every time they saw it. But because of Jesus and his love and his sacrifice, he actually turns the meaning of the cross around and transforms the cross into a beautiful symbol. And now when we see a cross, we actually decorate our homes with it, right? We hang them around our neck, and we do this in, in an honor, in a way to honor and remember Jesus, who carried the cross up a hill, who took on himself all the brokenness, all the sin, all the shame, all the accusation of the entire human race. And he did it to ransom us, to buy us back from the enemy's claim of sin, of death. Jesus did this to take back the authority that humankind gave to the enemy, to Satan, when we betrayed God way back in the early part of the story in the Garden of Eden. We handed the keys over to the enemy And the enemy, until Jesus came, had authority over much of the earth. But Jesus comes and he takes sin, shame, brokenness on himself. And he does it by stretching out his arms on the cross. An act of love, just like the prodigal father stretched out his arms to embrace this messed up son. And an act of love to welcome him home and protect him, Jesus stretches out his hands, his arms to embrace us in his love. And he dies willingly on the cross, willingly, so that our sin, our brokenness can be healed and forgiving. And by doing that, he transformed how people see the cross instead of it just meaning torture. He makes it something that we realize is beautiful. And just even kind of taking that Kinsuki thing a little further, for you and me, what Jesus did on the cross, um, instead of gold that fuses the broken pots of our lives together, instead of gold, it's the blood of Jesus that fuses our lives back together. 
See, the blood of Jesus is what is used to, to demonstrate that God's love for us has never changed and it fuses us back to the Father in a way that can never be broken again. And so because of his body that was broken, our lives can be completely and beautifully restored. And that would be pretty awesome. But as you know, the Easter story doesn't end there. It didn't end that Friday where Jesus hung on a cross um, and then he died on the cross. Um, again, remember, he willingly gave his life. Nobody came and took it from him. He was not a victim. He was the one. He said, it is finished and father into your hands. I commit my spirit. And then he died. And as the story reads, when Jesus died, the earth shook. When Jesus died, darkness came over the land it even says that when Jesus died, dead people came out of the grave. And another thing that would be worth studying, but we'll just mention is that when Jesus died, there was a veil in the temple. It was made of material that was four inches thick, 60 feet in length from top to bottom. And yet when Jesus died, that veil ripped. Think of this, from top, nobody's on the bottom tearing it, from top to bottom, four inches thick, showing us that this separation that the veil had been in the temple where the presence of God was isolated behind it, it ripped open to show us that God is opening his access, his presence to all people and saying, I want to run to you and be with you. And all of those things happened when Jesus died and those are pretty powerful things. But the story doesn't end there does it. See, they took Jesus off the cross. Then they prepared his body. They wrapped it in linens. They put it in a grave. That was Friday night. That was the first day. All of that on Friday, the first day. And then Saturday, the second day. Saturday morning, Saturday afternoon, Saturday night, Jesus' body stayed in the grave. And in those two days, the first day and the second day, the world must have seen more hopeless, more dark than ever before. But on the third day, on the third day, friends, Sunday morning, Jesus rose from the dead. He rose from the dead. And I wish we had time to unpack that. But, but listen, it's not a fable. It's not a fairy tale. Um, it's not fiction. Many of us believe that it was an actual historical event, not a euphemism, not a, not a metaphor. It was a historical event that changed the world. And there is so much actual solid evidence that Jesus rose from the dead, and not just because the Bible says so. There's actually lots of reasons to believe that he did rise from the dead, and, and oftentimes on Easter. That's what we look at, the evidence for why Jesus did rise from the dead. And if you um, want to hear more about it, again, that Alpha course on Monday nights would be a great way to unpack and, and dialogue and, and push back if you don't agree. But, but it's a safe place for you to express your thoughts, your opinions, your questions. Nobody's going to force anything on you. You're going to be treated with respect no matter your viewpoints. And it's a great place to kind of dig into some of these other questions. Um, but let me just mention one reason to trust and believe that the resurrection is true. Uh, one of them is this. Uh, it says there were eyewitnesses. There were 500 eyewitnesses just at one time. Now there's about 100 of us maybe in the room here. 
And let's say that I get accused of a crime that happened at 11.39 on Sunday, April 17th, right? Um, I'm pretty sure that I'd be in the clear. Hopefully not all of you would bail on me. But I've got about 100 witnesses, right? Pretty sure that I'd be in good shape. I'd have a pretty good alibi. Well, Jesus appeared before 500 people. And if you notice in the text, it actually names the pe- some of the people because it's saying, hey, go ask that guy. Everybody knows who that guy, or they know who, where he's from. Like, if you don't believe us, go ask him. He was there. She was there. You can check with them because back then they were still alive. The eyewitnesses were still alive. And that's just one of many reasons that, that so many of us go, I do trust that the resurrection of Jesus really happened. It wasn't just a myth or a metaphor. It was a miracle that really did happen. Not just because, well, the Bible says so, but because there's so much evidence that it really did happen. It really is true. See, Easter is about God loving us so much that he gave his one and only son, his son, Jesus. And Jesus then gave his life as a sacrifice, but it didn't end there because Jesus rose from the dead. And even the power of death is not stronger than Jesus. Even the power of death could not hold Jesus down. I want to look at one more thing here as we wrap up. Um, I love the way in Ephesians 2, I love the way that the Apostle Paul explains this death and resurrection piece starts in verse 4. It's actually worth reading the whole passage, the whole chapter, but I'm just going to read a few of the verses, starting in verse 4 of Ephesians 2. He says, God is so rich in mercy. He loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. And it's only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he raised us, listen to this, he raised us from the dead along with Christ. And just to pause for a moment, Paul's saying that because of God's love, even though we were all broken and dead in our sins, God gave us life. He actually raised us from the dead along with Jesus, which is like, wow. See, this is one of the things that God offers us, that dead people, you and I, can be made alive. We were dead and broken, but we can be made alive again. But he doesn't stop there. (laughs) It gets even better. Verse 10 says this, for we, here's also what he did, for we are what? What's it say? Let's read this out loud together. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. I mean, let that sink in. If you're a follower of Jesus, you are God's masterpiece. It says you have been made new in Christ, which is a very important part of the Easter story. No matter the places of brokenness in your life or in your story, God makes us new in Jesus. You and I go from broken to God's masterpiece, not just fixed, but made even better, made even better. And so I think we have a choice um, about how we celebrate Easter. Um, 
And if you're somebody that has said yes to Jesus, you're a follower of Jesus, you call yourself a Christian, um, I want to remind you to embrace this scripture as a way to celebrate Easter by remembering you, <laughs> you, according to God, are, are his masterpiece. Your brokenness no longer defines you. You've been given new life. You are not just given new life, but you are restored to even better. You are God's masterpiece. And that's worth celebrating. That's worth letting sink in. And I hope you guys really go deeper in that in your small groups and in the discussion this week. You are made even better as God's masterpiece. Now, if you're somebody who has not yet said yes to Jesus, I want to draw your attention back to verse 5 one more time, where it says, even though you were dead in your sins, and maybe you go, yeah, I get that. I feel dead. I feel broken. Even though you were dead in your sins, it says, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It's only by God's grace that you have been saved. And so, friends, if you've not yet said yes to Jesus, (laughs) Easter says that there is hope for dead things. And maybe there's some places that you feel dead inside. Maybe you go, yeah, I get that. Yeah, when you talk about hope or peace in my life, (laughs) that's dead. Or maybe if you were real honest, you'd say, yeah, my faith, yeah, no, that's, that's long gone. That's as good as dead. And I would say, I get it. I get that. I get feeling that way. But friends, we are here celebrating a God who specializes in bringing dead things back to life. And maybe you'd say, hey, you know what? You don't understand, like, my career, I'm in a dead-end career. The things that I hope for or my future, <sighs> My dreams for our future, like it's dead. And I would say, hey, I get it. It's okay. It's okay, but you don't have to stay there because God knows how to take dead things and bring them back to life. Maybe you would even get real honest. Maybe you'd say, you know, okay, how about my love for my, my, love for my spouse? Listen, my marriage is as good as dead. We're just sticking together for the kids. And I would say, I get it. I know that's a hard, difficult place to be. But I want to remind you that there is hope because today we are here celebrating a God who specializes in bringing dead things back to life. See, friends, no matter where it is that there's brokenness in your life and in your story, Jesus wants to take the things that seem dead in your life and raise you to a new life. And not just to, you know, fix it, because he really just fixes it the way we demand or want it to be fixed, especially when we make deals with him. Okay, God, I'll follow you if you fix this this way. <laughs> Good luck. Um, those of us that laugh know that's true, right? Yeah, we know, yeah. But he doesn't just fix stuff. He actually takes the broken pieces of our life and makes it into something more beautiful, which is such good news because you and I get restored to something even better. Worship team, will you come? And as they come, if you are someone who has not ever made that decision to follow Jesus, here's a simple question. Will you choose to follow him today? Will you choose Jesus today? Will you come home to the Father? Will you say yes to Jesus? Will you ask him even to breathe life into the dead and broken places of your life? 
And if you have never made that decision to follow Jesus and give your life to him right now, I just want to give you a chance to do that. I want to walk you through making that decision um, to put your trust in Jesus. Make that decision to become a follower of Jesus, to have your sins forgiven, to choose a new direction and follow him into new life. And, and maybe you've never done this before or maybe it's been a long time or maybe this Easter was your reminder, oh, I gotta get back on track and following Jesus. And so in a moment here, we're gonna pray a, a simple prayer. And if you are ready to follow Jesus, um, Make this decision if you're ready to do that. This prayer is a moment that marks your decision. It actually can be the starting point of you saying yes to following Jesus. And if that's what you want this morning, um, I'm going to ask you to go ahead and pray along with me. In fact, let's do it this way. Let's have everybody in the room pray this out loud as a way of supporting and encouraging those who are taking this huge step for the first time and making this decision. So let's bow our heads, close our eyes, let's pray this together. Just repeat after me. Jesus, I need you. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for dying on the cross. I ask you to forgive my sins. Thank you for forgiving me. I ask you to give me a new heart to wash me clean. Jesus, thank you that you rose from the dead and you make all things new. I choose now to follow you. Thank you for a new life and a new beginning in you, amen, amen. I'm gonna ask you to keep your head bowed, your eyes closed, and I just wanna speak to us for a moment here. If, if you prayed that prayer, it is really important that you talk to someone and tell someone um, right away. Like, make sure you do it today. After the service, you can talk with me or you can talk with any of our, our team here. Um, in fact, we're gonna have a group of folks on the back prayer wall there. They're standing back there in a moment and they're uh, gonna have, they have a little lanyard on so you'll know that's them. But what I wanna do is uh, while our heads are bowed and eyes are closed, I just wanna do one more thing. I wanna congratulate you because you will never make another decision as important as the decision that you just made. So if you said yes to Jesus, I wanna congratulate you. And if you prayed that prayer to start following Jesus, I'm gonna ask you to just real quick, while everybody's heads are bowed and eyes are closed, if you'll just wave at me, I'm gonna look around the room and if you'll just wave at me, I would love to just see you where you're at. If you just wave your hand or look up, if you prayed that prayer to follow Jesus today. moment we're gonna when we dismiss there is a prayer team that's hanging out at that back call uh, that back corner and if you want prayer for any reason or maybe there's something in you that is just kind of nervous about responding right now but you know that this is something that you need something you want to do I'm going to encourage you to to join um, or to move to the back uh, with that prayer team after the service closes um, hey everybody else just go ahead and look up um, we're gonna sing a song in just a moment before we dismiss. 
Um, but here's how we're gonna close our Easter service today. In fact, it's similar to how for the last 2000 years, um, the church historically has celebrated Easter Sunday by reading a particular passage of scripture. And at the end of that passage of scripture uh, in all these different places, all these different churches all around the world for the last 2000 years, the end of the scripture has the words, he is risen. And the pastor would say, as they read, he is risen and the crowd would then reply and shout back, See, you guys, some of you know this one. He is risen indeed. And so far be it for me to skip a tradition that's been going on for 2,000 years. So uh, if it's okay with you, I guess I could play the role of the pastor in this. And uh, you guys could play the role of the congregation. Um, And if you celebrate Jesus as our risen Lord, then when I get to the end of this scripture and say he is risen, you will say, you guys ready for this? Feels like we need to stand up. Let's go ahead and stand up. spices they had prepared and went to Jesus' tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the crown. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Yeah, he has risen. He has risen.